Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Brands, brands are, are an important thing in the world. Lots of money, millions of dollars is spent protecting brands for various obvious reasons. Uh, you can see why people protect brands for this reason. Here's a question. What comes to mind when you see this? <laughs> Throw it out there. Any, any reflections as to what comes to mind? What, what do we have down there? Food. food chips. Not so healthy food. <laughs> Comfort food. <laughs> Peace and quiet from the kids in the back of the car. Uh, for the sake of those on the podcast, we're looking at the McDonald's sign. I remember a McDonald's sign used to be at Forestway Shopping Centre. We as kids, every time we, we would see the glow of the golden arches, we just knew that that was heaven for a kid there, that we could go to, could go to McDonald's and... And the power of that brand is if you found it, like whether it's a McDonald's in Forestway or it's a McDonald's in France, you tend to get the same experience. The fat of the chip still smells the same. <laughs> the girl at the counter still has that chipper face. Can I help you? See, brands are a powerful thing, but what is even more powerful about a brand in particular is when there is an integrity and a consistency to the brand. Why that is so common to us when we see those golden arches is when we see that sign, we know what to expect and experience, right? Uh, what, what do you see when you see this brand? <laughs> Anyone know what that brand is? The ichthus or the fish symbol uh, often refers to the believers. We see it on the back of bumper cars. Yet part of the challenge of why we've started this series brand recognition is, I don't know if you've found it, but if you ask anyone what this means, if you ask 100 people what this fish symbol means, you're probably going to get 100 different answers. You're probably going to get 100 different experiences. Some people will say that, oh, that symbol means someone who just goes to church, someone that follows Jesus, someone that was born into the faith, someone who just goes to church at Christmas time, <laughs> someone who is a disciple. Someone who is a follower of Jesus could mean that. And yet at the other end of the spectrum and the darker end of the spectrum is that this symbol for some people can say, well, these guys are a bunch of racist, moralist, ethical, high-horsing, homophobic people that say, if you're not on their side, then you're going to hell. Right? If we're real? So how is it that one of the most recognisable brands in history is so confused. And why we're going to talk through brand ambassadors just for a couple of weeks, brand recognition is this, I want you to get it this morning if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are the best ambassador for the brand that is called Christianity. And if you are, what makes a brand good like the McDonald's sign is that good branding is always firstly visible, you can see it, it's uh, up there on the horizon. You can see the glow of the golden arches. But more importantly, as we've described, a great brand has integrity. In other words, when people see the brand, there is a correlation between what people expect and what they experience. And so here's the question. If you rewound your life for the past week, would it pass that test? Particularly when it comes to the brand of, of believers that God intends his people to be. Uh, mine didn't, my, my life didn't pass, if you want the clue. 
That's why we're going through this. If I look through, how visible have I been this week? How true to the brand have I been this week? So look, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the challenge for all of us. And that is the question for us. These things on the screen. But more importantly, if you're just checking out Christianity, then the good news for you, if you're with us, stay with us for a couple of weeks. Because hopefully, maybe if you're one of those hundred people that have had a hundred different views as to what this brand means, you might actually get a sense as to how God intends it to be. I don't know about you, but I think we're living in a world where this is vitally important, right? The terror attacks in London that we've just seen and witnessed, the rise of ISIS, all of these things are happening. We can think as Christians that we're okay, that's not us, but I dare to push back on you and say most of my non-Christian friends and most of the average Sydney cider, they're not seeing it in terms of Christianity, Islam, and the various distinctions between the religions, they just see it as this. It's the religious people that are the ones that are attacking the cities. It's the religious ones that are attacking the culture. It's the religious ones that are not keeping the peace, right? Are you feeling that? So the, the, the whole situation of the world at the moment is a challenge for all of us. And the great call for us is we'll see as we journey through purely the book of Daniel for the next couple of weeks. And we'll touch more on this next week. But there is a remarkable principle in here. If, you, if, if there's anything you get from this book, if there's anything you get from watching it at Christianity this morning and hearing this message is this, that what is radical about the book of Daniel is that God takes his people out of their cushy little common land in Israel and particularly in Jerusalem, rans- the place is ransacked. And we will see next week that God says it's part of his plan that he pushes people like Daniel out into exile, into a foreign oppressive culture. Next week, we're going to go say, why the heck would God do that? Shortcutting the answer, he says to the prophet Jeremiah, I do it so that my people will prosper the city. So if we can get things really clear here, that if we are living as believers true to God's intention, and I think there's a correlation for us, right? We can feel like exiles in a culture that has seemed to ransack the thing that we all love dear. You know, many of you grew up in an era, right, where Christianity was, we were a Christian nation. It was okay to say that you went to church at work. The minister would, would, would come and visit you and, and, and you would be in, in your house and he'd just go through the neighbourhood on his bike back in those days. It was just a done thing when you moved into the area that the minister, local minister would call you up. How are you doing? Can I come round? <laughs> um, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> neither, was Dan, neither was Daniel. Neither was Daniel. And we see this in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 1. He says, Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve the king's palace. I can relate. Just say. Humility here, it's beautiful. The king assigned them a daily amount of food, wine from the king's table. They would be to trained to be trained for three years, and after that, they were in the king's service. Now, this is a dramatic passage. This is 600 BC, as Annie said to us, 600 years before Jesus. And we see here that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has ransacked Israel, torn out the eyes of the king. 
taken out and not just some people but a specific type of person when they went in they conquered Israel and they deported and exiled get this the professional classes so they took all the professionals out of Israel and took them back into the king's court in order to be trained and so this was not an accident. This was very deliberate. Why? Because this was a strategy. The strategy was this, victory through assimilation. So what the Babylonians are thinking is if we can take the smartest, the brightest, the best, those leaders, artisans, military leaders, professionals, those that the Israelites looked up to, if we could take them and assimilate them and brainwash them into our culture, then within a generation they would have forgotten all about Israel. And so it's clever They'll lose their own distinct culture and beliefs and values and they'll stop resisting our empire. Now, isn't that the tension for the Christian today? That's 600 BC and yet the principle remains the same. Do we embrace? Do we be shaped by? Do we play with the culture at hand or do we stay strong? And that's what we're going to answer this morning But that is the tension for the Christian. And some people, they succumb to that. Other Christians on the other side, they attack that. We've seen that, haven't we? They're the ones that tell you that the culture is filthy and it's rotten and it's dirty. And and they're the Christians that everyone other than them is going to hell. And yet you'll see in this passage that that is not how God and the great example of Daniel operates. Victory through assimilation and yet Daniel finds a real nuance. And and part of the reason why we feel this as Christians is what I call the pressure of pluralism, the pressure of many religions. And there's a a fascinating part as you go through Daniel here uh, where the king Nebuchadnezzar decrees that they all must go and worship an image of gold that he'd set up. And it's really interesting and it makes sense that the image of God didn't represent one God to be worshipped, but it represented everyone's God in this multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-God, pluralistic society. And so it's very clever from Nebuchadnezzar. He says, everyone has just got to go and worship this thing. And you've all got to go and do that in public. And that was his decree. And so what he's really saying to everyone is, I'm not asking you to worship my gods, the Babylonian gods, instead of your God. I'm asking that you worship the Babylonian gods in addition to whatever you do in your private life. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, in private, believe whatever you want to believe. And yet in public, you just go along with everyone else. Are you seeing where I'm going here? Have you heard that? Have you felt that? This doesn't feel like 600 BC. This feels like your work week this week. You see how the pressure of pluralism works in every major city, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Sydney, whether it's New York, LA. That is the pressure of pluralism. And it sounds entirely reasonable. Just believe whatever you want to believe in your circle, at home, in private, in the lounge room. But when you come to the workplace, when you come to uni, when you hang out with the ladies in the cafe and the rest of the mums, then just believe what everyone else believes. And that sounds reasonable, right? And yet we have the challenge of victory through assimilation. You feeling this tension? The pressure of pluralism. 
But so Daniel resists that pressure. That's what the whole book of Daniel is all about. He resists that pressure and he does it in a way that's really, really clever. And because we're going we're gonna to walk a thin line over the next couple of weeks, don't we? Because I know for, for many of us, we sit at either ends of a spectrum in the room this morning. I'm not naive about that. So wherever you might sit this morning, let's have a look at Daniel's example as to how he walks his tightrope. And here's the first thing that he and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, hold. Oh, it's just like, um, it's like Sunday school, isn't it? All over again. It's like my favorite story. <laughs> so cool to say it again. Shadrach, Meshach. Here's what they do. Here's the first thing that they do. They don't separate from their culture. They engage their culture. That's the first thing they did. They don't separate from their culture. They engage their culture. In verse 4 to 5, young men without any physical defect. The king assigns them a daily amount of food, wine. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So in other words, they, they go into Babylonian university. They go and train there. At, 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 they, they go and get a Bachelor of Babylon for three years. They study very, very diligently. And actually, if you look through, I think it's around about verse 20 here. Here it is, yeah. In a matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So they beat the Babylonians at their own game. But did you hear what they were better at? Than all the magicians and enchanters. So here, don't miss this. Yes, they studied for three years, but what did they study for three years? Magic and sorcery. And so Daniel becomes ten times better than the Babylonians at black magic and sorcery. Now, are you hearing this? Because for a conservative church, this would be off the charts. They, a conservative church would say, don't touch that stuff. That stuff's of the devil. Don't touch that. Don't go near that. Don't go anywhere near that. Don't do that. Separate from that. Go away from that. And what we see the example in Daniel is, not only do they not separate it, but they do it ten times better than the rest of the Babylonians, which was part of the gift of God's sovereign story in all of this because it's the very thing that raises him to the top of the king's courts. So they beat the own culture at the culture. And for a lot of Christians and churches, that sounds wildly dangerous. We would freak at that. But what's clear is that Daniel doesn't refuse to, that call to get involved in the full arts degree at the leading pagan university. <laughs> and why would he do that? You know, see, a lot of, a lot of Christians have a one-to-one -one view of the Christian life. And that is that you get saved and then you go hang out in your holy huddle just long enough until it's time to meet Jesus. <laughs> and it's a bit safer in here, right? <laughs> And if we can just hide in here with enough other Christians around us, then we don't have to process these other things that are happening. And yet that is not God's plan, again, as we will see next week. God, through the prophet of Jeremiah, was saying that he is calling his people into the city in order to prosper the city. He says, don't extract, go in, because I'm going to use you to make that city a better place. So what are the implications of this? You know, it's real for us here. It's real. You know, I've had conversations with one of our young adult ladies who she'd spent three years master's degree at Sydney University and she was studying for her dream job. 
And she got her dream job. And before she accepted the dream job, she sat down and had a chat with me because she said, I'm really wrestling with this. I found my dream job, but my dream job is with Australia's biggest distributor of Bacardi rum and other products. Now, can you feel the tension? Do I take the job or not? Because, of course, here we see the destructive nature of alcohol in our society and and we host AA conferences here, and so it's like it seems so incongruous with what we're trying to do as a church because on one hand, we're, we understand the dangers and, and what that is doing to our society, and yet it's from a passage like this that I said, I get a sense that God is saying, go in. God needs his people in these places to prosper the city. Uh, on the other side, we had a, a, another friend here who had a, a, one of their clients was big tobacco. What do you do with that? We know the stats. We don't have to go through that. What do you do with that? What's, what's the answer, class? <laughs> and can you see now why we have to do this stuff in community? You see why we have wiki church groups? You see why we have to wrestle these things out? You see, there is no pat answer to these questions. These are things that we have to wrestle through in community with one another. But we feel the tension of being God's people in exile in the city. But here's what I want you to ask yourself. You know, what unique skills, what unique talents, what unique position has God given me in order to prosper the city around me? And when you see it from that paradigm, then you become unafraid of engaging the world around us. It means, look, that... Christians live in the city in a posture of service. It means that maybe new businesses and non-profits are renewing their slices of culture in large and small ways. We've got Northsiders doing that at the moment with an ethical clothing business. Believers integrate their faith with their work so that every job becomes a type of kingdom activity. People use their power and wealth and influence for the good of others on the margins of society to advance ministry. You see how this works? God wants us to assimilate with the culture around us because he wants us to change the city. You think, how would that ever happen? Well, I don't know. There was a season here where we had three Northsiders in one of Sydney's biggest newspapers. We've had seasons here in which you have a bunch of guys starting to brainstorm down in the city in terms of how... They can change their workplaces. We've seen a number of Northsiders and doctors, nurses at the same major Sydney hospital. We've seen a number of Northsiders gather and do an impromptu small group at their university. They're at the same uni. You see, God is placing us into these places to be in the culture. So, engage with the culture. That makes sense? Could be scary for some. But on the other side... Daniel not only engages with the culture, he engages with the culture, yet he draws a line. He draws a line and we, we see this in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief officer for permission not to defile himself in this way. He drew a line. Um, you know the, the Guardian newspaper printed an article in 2012 about an undercover policeman and he was uh, sent in to infiltrate a particular political group and they started to lose contact with him and then when, it, when they wanted to pu- pull him out of that, he decided that he wanted to stay with the political group. <laughs> 
and he stuck with them. Now, um, that is the tension of what happens if you over-engage, and yet Daniel, we see here, draws a line. How do you effectively engage a culture without it winning us over? And he draws a line. You see, when he says here that he refuses to eat the food, he's drawing this line. Daniel assimilated into the culture, but at the same time he's saying, I'm going to be distinct from the culture around me. And Daniel refuses to eat the king's food. Now the question is, why does he refuse to eat the king's food? Like, is it a combination of either it tastes bad um, or was it a pork roast? And so as a, a Jewish kid, he thought, well, I can't eat that. Now, it's fascinating because I've seen so many other sermons preached and written where they said, oh, it's all against the Mosaic laws. And yet um, some of the commentators that I'm reading saying that there was nothing explicitly wrong under Mosaic law for Daniel to be eating this food. And so here's the principle. Daniel in drawing the line, I believe what we see here is Daniel saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. I will, I will go to university. I will become the ultimate sorcerer and magician. But if I eat the food, that becomes a bottom line that if I step over, I know that the culture has won me. Have you ever felt that? You know that, that line you know, that we're, we're constantly against where we, we feel like if, if, I, if I just... If I just move to this point, then I know it's got me. And I suggest some of you know what that feels like. It's, you feel this tension when everyone else in business is living on that borderline of dubious practices. And they're your competitors or they're your workmates. And you know that if you don't go along with it, then you're going to fall behind or you're not going to win. And there comes a point in which there's a line there that you feel that you say, if I've stepped over this, even as a Christian, the culture's won me. So Daniel draws a line and he has a bottom line. And what I want to suggest to you is that the way that we draw the line is that believers have to live with a relational integrity. Integrity means basically this, to be the same person in every context. Remember? The golden arches are the same in forest way as it is in France. So the question is, how do you draw a line? The way that you draw a line is that you have a bottom line about yourself. What that is, you need to work out. You need to wrestle out. But to have a bottom line that says there will come a time in which this bottom line doesn't even come to the surface because I'm amongst Christians and we don't need to really worry about it. But that the further I move back out into the culture, the further it will eventually begin to surface that bedrock the way that like a tide goes out and begins to bring something that is solid to the surface. The further you go out, the further that the tide comes out, the closer that thing will be to becoming visible and so can we see now in Daniel's both his visibility and his integrity the visibility in saying he goes to the king's officials can I please have permission not to do this all this time he's going along with the culture and then he gets to a point where he speaks up and says no stop 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 this is enough I can't do this can you ask the king what is that for you have you worked it out I'd suggest that we're constantly having to work it out. And by the way, why it's so wonderful to engage a culture that's different from us. Can I suggest to you, you will never work this out if you live your life over here with Christians. We need an unbelieving, different, pressure-giving city around us 
to strengthen us and to reveal to us what our bottom line truly is. We shouldn't be afraid of that. So he engages with the culture and yet he draws a line. So as we finish this one, that's it. Two-point sermon. All right. Some of you think that's fantastic. I can get down to Cavalier faster for a coffee after this. That's, well, this is really good. Two-point sermon, 30% off. <laughs> this is a wrestle, isn't it? Are you sensing that, that I'm just floating the ideal? We want to we wanna go easy on this. We've got we're to warm up, stretch into this. Because if you go hard at this this week, work it through, then you will find, and maybe you need to do that as well. I've got to ask you, followers of Jesus, believers, ambassadors of the brand, have you copped a nosebleed from the culture yet? Because if you haven't, more than likely what that is saying to you is that you're not living visibly enough or you're not living with integrity the way that we see that with Daniel. I don't mean that in a condescending way. But it's back to this question, are we living lives that are visible and true to the, to the brand? If you want a case study of what happens to people that live like that, there was a guy 633 years later after this that he says this, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the ter- temple when all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret, visible. Why do you question me? Ask those who heard me, visible. Synagogue, when the Jews came together, temple, true to the brand, integrity, same in every context. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. If I said something wrong, Jesus said, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The grapple for us is going to be, and there's no easy way for us to get around this church, that whenever truth is spoken with a boldness and the humility and the beautiful balance that Jesus had in that, people are going to slap you in the face. Because when truth is revealed to the darkness, it shows up the darkness. And the darkness doesn't like that. And the darkness reacts to that. And the great wrestle for all of us is when we ask the question, well, why aren't I living a life of visibility? Why aren't I living a life of integrity that is the same in each of these contexts? Why aren't I as dynamic as I am in worship (laughs) at my desk in the open plan office come tomorrow morning? This is probably the reason. And if you're anything like me, it's a fear. It's a fear of persecution, not just physically in that sense, but professionally. It's the fear of the resistance that we will come up against. And yet what we see is the great promise is that Jesus, yet again, never calls us to do anything that he first didn't have the gumption to do himself. And so as we wrestle through this, guys, that is going to be part of the reality for us. If we become people of, of, of a bold humility who gently but firmly live lives of integrity that show up the world around us, but hopefully their lives of beauty lives of beauty that in a way will come against the resistance and yet have victory in the end. And I can think of no greater case study than this story that I'll leave, I'll leave you with. Um, back in, when was it, 20, 2011, 
Yeah, 2011, uh, there were riots in London. Do you remember that there were the London riots a couple of years back? Anyway, uh, Dr. Andrew Ball, our conference president who was here the other week, uh, shared a story um, from uh, one of our churches over there, Jubilee Church in the UK that he was a part of there. And during these riots, uh, there was news in Maidstone in the UK where this church was that a whole bunch of um, young thugs were going to come and to riot and to ransack the city. And so as he was listening to the story from the senior pastor, um, instead of calling the riot squad, the police commissioner of the city in Maidstone, they're called the senior pastor, Michael Puffett of, the, of this church. So good was the relationship that they had with this, with this city. So they didn't call the right, they called the church. And so um, Puffett goes and gets like a whole bunch of his burliest guys from Jubilee Church, and they all go put on high-vis vests, and they all go walk out, and all of these guys quietly go out into the night in the early hours, and they each stand on various corners around the city. When uh, all the thugs came in, ready for a little bit of a rumble, all they saw was a bunch of these burly guys in high-vis vests standing on each corner. There was no violence, there was no words, there was nothing like that. It was almost as if that these guys, trying to be opportunistic, came in and realised that people were already there and present and they thought, too hard basket, and they walked away. <laughs> and, uh, and when he asked Pastor Puffett why the heck that they would do a thing like that as a church, he said, you know what, we have worked too hard and too long with God to stop people from ransacking this city. I'll be darned if we let a bunch of young thuggers do it. <laughs> Guys, the reality is that people are coming in to ransack this city, not with batons, not to kick in windows, not in that physical sense, but with greed and with self-interest. And all I want to say to you this morning is that God has called you, if you are his followers, to don a high-vis vest and to walk up and take part and to take your corner for the city of Sydney, wherever that may be. God has called us as Northsiders to move into our families, to move into our universities, to move into our workplaces, to move into our mums groups, to move into our bridge playing card groups, <laughs> to say that we are going to be people of visibility and integrity. And that yes, we are distinct from the city that is around us because as Jesus said, we are Light and the darkness never likes the light, but we are for the city because we are salt, and salt goes in to preserve it. And so, friend, that is part of our call this morning. Will you take up that call to just be visible and to be integrous, not to withdraw, but to move in with the confidence that God has placed you and I here so that if the city prospers, we're here next week, we prosper. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.